You're listening to Driving Law, a podcast by Kyla Lee about all things related to the rules of the road. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Driving Law. I am Kyla Lee at Acumen Law, and with me, my co-host, Paul Doroshenko. Hi, Kyla. Congratulations on your big win. Oh, gosh. You know, it's always, like, more rewarding when you win a trial that you thought for sure you would lose. Well, you thought for sure you would win it, and then you were starting to think that maybe you weren't going to win it. As it was happening, As it I was, was thinking, out, but maybe this is not going my way. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, it's uh, another nice success. Two days of uh, trial and saved you a third day of trial, and there you go. Success on a uh, late on a Thursday afternoon. Yep. Continuing the streak of successful you, ASD refusal you've cases. You've never lost an ASD refusal case. You've never no. lost an ASD refusal case. I never lost an ASD refusal case either. Well, in the criminal case, we're not talking about administrative ASD refusal cases, but in the criminal cases. You know, I was explaining this to the prosecutor in the hallway. I have a real moral problem with the offense of ASD refusal for a number of reasons. The first reason, it's de minimis. Like, literally, you you're commit the offense when somebody says, blow into my breathalyzer, but, like, with a little bit more wording. And you say, no. How can it be that you can be saddled with a criminal record, $2,000 fine, mandatory minimum penalties, one-year driving prohibition for simply saying no, particularly in a circumstance where you're not entitled to contact a lawyer? And I appreciate that there are great policy reasons for having ASD refusal laws. To compel people to participate and do it, and to make sure be you part take the, the test. Don't you know? Don't refuse because you could face huge consequences for doing so. But, but at the same time, yeah. but if that's going to be the case, then you should have the right to counsel. You should have the ability to call a lawyer. I mean, this case was a perfect example because you know, without getting into too much detail, this individual initially made some statements that may or may not have been construed to be a refusal, and then ultimately was put in touch with counsel, and after being put in touch with counsel, indicated that they were willing to provide a sample. And we see this more often than you'd like to think. And you think about it, um, you know, in this ASD test context, your right to counsel, of course, is suspended. And normally, if there's a result on the ASD, I mean, the result on the ASD doesn't lead to a criminal charge or a criminal conviction. Nope. It only leads to a further detention or, of course, uh, some sort of administrative consequence, but a further detention. So all of that evidence that takes place in the normal circumstance is not admissible. And the reason for that is your charter rights are suspended. So on balance, your charter rights are suspended and they can't use that result except to form reasonable and probable grounds for further detention and breath demand. But, it, but if you say no, then your charter rights weren't suspended for that part and that bit of evidence that they gather, the two-letter word, is used against you yeah, but for it, a criminal conviction. But it goes even further than that. 
even if you say yes in response to the ASD demand and you slur your yes, they can't use that yes as proof of impairment later on because all of that evidence is presumptively inadmissible, not just your blowing, but also your response to the demand. And unlike almost every other situation in law, and I can think only of obstruction situations where you refuse to identify yourself, where you have a legal obligation to do so, it is the only circumstance that I could think of where the gravamen of the offense is made out on the basis of a statement and for which you do not get voluntariness protection. There's no voluntariness inquiry into whether your no was voluntary. And why not? Because yeah. it's the offense. The no why is the no? offense. Because it's written into statute. And it's, and it's and it's like the only thing that's that's written into law where you don't get your charter rights. Mm-hmm. And we all accept that you don't get your charter rights. And your two-letter response, one-word two-letter response, is the thing that leads to you getting a criminal record. Yeah, I got a real, I got a real problem with ASD refusal laws. I, I have contemplated circumstances in which they could be better. For example, if the refusal was simply a no, or words, that the sentence would not attract a mandatory minimum such that you could ask for a discharge. If your refusal was by action, then of course you have the opportunity to say there's medical issues or whatever. And maybe they can create whatever mandatory minimum they want. But I think at least on the wording ones, there should be the ability to say, I should get a discharge. Well, that's one way to improve it, but it doesn't correct those charter doesn't correct but, the charter arguments, but, but the problem but, with the charter, like the charter violations, is that it, it leads to an automatic criminal record if you're convicted. I still think that the legislation could be struck down on that basis. Um, the manner in which it's been read, though, is that, um, well, I mean, you're the expert in that. You just made the argument today. <laughs> well, Jay Cox was the last time, at least in British Columbia, that somebody argued that the no refusal law was constitutionally invalid. And that was when they changed the penalty for refusing to blow. And the result was, I can't remember, it must have been back in like 2006 when they changed the penalties. Yeah, it went to a one-year and it went to prohibition. The, yeah. It went to a... a thousand dollar fine from six hundred dollars and it yeah. used to be before that i think a three-month driving prohibition yeah and so they said the increase in jeopardy warranted revisiting it and the court of appeal was like nah, nah. <laughs> a direct quote from the judgment nah <laughs> that's our court of appeal that's, that's how i read all court of appeal judgments lots of bad things happened nah <laughs> Uh, okay, I shouldn't anyway, criticize it, too much while I'm waiting for follows up, about two weeks ago we had, uh, we had a, a special on ASD refusals, and um, I was using, uh, we used two of those decisions that we discussed in our podcast yeah. two weeks ago. Yeah. This week, I did and you did. So, it'd be interesting to see what happens in my case. Mine was an immediate roadside prohibition. Yours, of course, was an acquittal. So, congratulations. Huzzah! Now, my acquittal is nothing like an acquittal and a constitutional finding 
that came out of the Quebec Superior Court this week. This is fascinating. This is huge. It was sent to me from huge. a listener today, and I sent a thank you to him. I heard about it on uh, the radio, yeah. and I almost like drove off the road. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to change a lot, um, and uh, we'll see where it goes. I'm sure it's going to make it to the Supreme Court of Canada, and I, based on my understanding of it, reading this as it's described in CTV, it sure makes a lot of sense. Mm-hmm. So this is a challenge to laws in essentially in Quebec. Um, that allow the police to pull over people randomly to check their license and insurance and sobriety. And this, of course, is authorized um, in law, and the Supreme Court of Canada has ruled on it and said, you know, this is the one way you can check to see whether or not people are prohibited from driving is randomly stopping them in this way. Yeah. But, and that's, so, but that's changed, right? Yeah. Well, so the Supreme Court of Canada has ruled this way since, like, 1990. So since early days of the Charter. I mean, if you think about how long it takes to get to the Supreme Court of Canada, Charter 82, 1990, we have Supreme Court of Canada judgment saying, no, random stops are fine because people die from drunk drivers. Well, and, but and now, the, lo- the large justification was getting people who are uh, disqualified or prohibited. Sure. That was at a time when they didn't have ALPR technology. That was at a time where we didn't have these massive databases that knew creepy amounts of information about you associated to your license plate or license plates of your friends or family members. Police officers weren't driving around with data terminals in their cars with descriptions of people available to them right there at their fingertips. And that was a time where the courts, unfortunately, pretended like things like racial profiling weren't that big a deal. Well, they didn't consider it because they're mostly white folk. Mm-hmm. Mostly white folk from wealthy families who became lawyers and spent the previous 20 years of their lives as lawyers, 30 years of their lives as lawyers before they became judges. But of course, since Lee from the Supreme Court of Canada, we've seen a real sea change on this issue. Yeah, and I, I mean, the general recognition in our society is that uh, we, we understand that this racism exists. Black now, Lives Matter. Now, the interesting thing, though, is I think if you were to poll the large portion of society, you would not find that most people think this is a day-to-day concern. And I think that probably reflects the way that judges think. It's the outspoken people, you yeah. and me and the people on Twitter and the people who live this, who actually are trying to raise this as an issue because I've seen it my entire fucking career. Yeah, one of my first cases was a black guy who was pulled over for no reason and then the cops beat him up. As I've said before, I've again for no reason, handful of black guys, and um, most of them were beaten up by the police. And I, you know, all of the uh, young brown guys uh, defended over the years would always tell me, "Yeah, we know, like driving while brown, you're going to get pulled over." Yep, There's, I mean, it's even it's even a term that's kind of jokingly used in BC, but not so jokingly. And and even in the time that I've been practicing, just the ten years I've been practicing, back in 2015, I argued that case. I've talked about it a few times on the podcast. It will live with me. Oh, sure. If a black man randomly stopped leaving a pub, thought he was being racially profiled because he's a black man, randomly stopped, and the counsel for the attorney general at the time stood up in court and said racial bias by police doesn't exist in British Columbia. Doesn't exist. <clears throat> yep. I get, like Old white guy. Old white <laughs> 
Very um, old and very white. Anyway, uh, but, you know, he is, um, his mindset, you know, probably reflects uh, a significant portion of the older part of the bar, and by that I also include the judges. Yeah. Um, and, you know, if you're wealthy living on the west side of Vancouver or wherever have you, and you're a Supreme Court or Court of Appeal judge, you're not seeing it, mm-hmm. you're not living it, and you don't have these people in your office as your clients because those are not generally the people who they had as clients even when they were in practice, right? Yeah. Um, so they, they just didn't don't know that this is how it works. You're a young black man walking down the street. You know, the police, it's not unusual to be stopped and questioned. You know, and if you're driving, same thing, stopped, yep. questioned. So... This is what happens for Mr. Luamba, who's 22, randomly stopped, and he challenged the law. And he hadn't done anything wrong. He wasn't charged with anything. Nope. He but just he brought a constitutional challenge because his rights were infringed, which you can do, have done. God bless him. God bless him. He's a hero. He is and a, he's a hero. the brave judge, Justice... Your go, I assume? That's how you pronounce it? French name? Yes, maybe. Justice Your Go. Your go. Overturned the long-standing jurisprudence that said this is just fine. He said it is time for the justice system to declare this power obsolete and inoperable. Obsolete and inoperable, and he's quite right. It is obsolete in the way we understand society now. Well, and let's get back to your TikToks then. Um, and I didn't want to just come back to referring to your TikToks. I noticed the one that was at five hundred thousand last week is nearly at six hundred thousand now. I haven't been on because um, I've been in a trial. You've been in a trial, uh, but um, you know, you talked about random stops and when the police can stop you because everybody responded to that um, that one that had those numerous hits. Asking that question. And then you posted that, and people were shocked to find out that the police could randomly pull you over for sobriety or licensing check. In other words, most people rephrased it, and I think they were accurate whenever, arbitrary. Mm -hmm. Um, And people do not like it uh, when they find out about it, regardless of their ethnicity. They don't like the idea of having, of the police having that power. A lot of shock in the comments there. A lot of shock in the comments. And a lot of people saying, wow, you know, Americans would never put up with this. Well, Americans put up with a lot of things uh, that we don't put up with in Canada. We wouldn't put up with, uh, with uh, not having socialized medicine. You know, we'll, we'll fight in the streets for it. Um, so there's a, uh, different viewpoints on that, certainly. But uh, a lot of people, when they find out that this is the state of the law in Canada, just think that it's plain wrong and they're worried about abuses... And this is exactly the example of it. So now what's going to happen with this case, Kyla? You know and I know what's going to happen, but you might as well be the one who explains it. Well, the government's going to appeal. It goes to the Quebec Court of Appeal. The Quebec Court of Appeal may decide to say, we can certify this to the Supreme Court of Canada. Very rare, but it does happen in important cases where there are civil liberties issues to be determined. They may also put five panels on, five members five on the panels. And the Quebec um, Court of Appeal is a good Court of Appeal right now 
for something like this. I think it's a great court of appeal for this. Um, they're very attuned to uh, to these issues. Um, and, Ontario uh, too. Yeah, and they you know they don't have the same pattern of being overturned like our court of appeal does. Yeah. Um, and they don't have the same pattern of being all white except for one, like our court of appeal is. Yes. So um, probably uh, a good place for it to happen. And you know we always think that we're very progressive in BC. And when I moved to BC from Alberta, I was shocked that in many respects we're less progressive in BC. It's really a uh, establishment place here. There's mm-hmm. people who are establishment money, and they're very focused on protecting their establishment money. Um, and so there's a you know a, a, a significant undercurrent of progressiveness, but uh, it's really hides a fairly extreme conservatism um, among the moneyed class. Mm-hmm. So, but I like I want to. <laughs> highlight a couple other parts of the decision that have been quoted in media. I haven't seen the decision yet, but unfortunately it's Looking not for it, but accessible. I think it's probably also en français. But the judge noted that this he wasn't making any conclusions about racial profiling. There wasn't even evidence that in this case it was racial profiling. But he said racial profiling can sneakily creep into police practice without police officers in general being driven by racist values. And he also said that, you know, there were a number of police forces who provided evidence about the different methods that they used to curb racial profiling, to increase diversity. And he said, that don't matter because rights protected by the charter cannot depend on the goodwill of police and ethics and justice must go hand in hand. Um, and that's a great phrase. And uh, I think back to when you and I were presenting, I think, at the Senate, where uh, maybe it was the House of Commons Criminal Justice Committee, where a lawyer for the government was saying, well, we would never you know, do this, of course. We'd never uh, approve a charge in this sort of circumstance. Mm-hmm. Uh, and um, you know, that's just relying on the goodwill of the police, right? Uh, And the other thing is, um, you know, the police, I've noticed many police officers and police forces really feel that their back is up against the wall. They're sitting there thinking to themselves, we're doing everything we can think of to to deal with the problem of racism among individuals. And this is not a system of racism. Mm -hmm. And when we hear the word systemic, that means it's a system of racism where we planned it this way. The problem is that that systemic label has been, on the one hand, uh, you know, it it has driven the discussion, and the discussion is necessary. Mm -hmm. But on the other hand, using that term makes it sound like it has been been actively created in order to facilitate and encourage racism. And that's not the case. The problem is, it is experienced that way by people. Yep. And so that is why the phrase is used, and it's maybe not the ideal phrase. But, and, you know, police have to recognize, okay, the the language is being used differently here. They're stretching the words a little bit further beyond their meaning. Uh, But that's what we've got, right? Yes. That's what we've got. It's the way people experience it. And this guy is the perfect example, where they can't say that this stop, the last one, I guess, that triggered it, but he'd been stopped like six times. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it was the straw that broke the camel's back. And in some respects, I'm glad that it did. Now, the other interesting thing is, I often feel that these 
young men who are stopped like this, and it's mostly men, um, are meant to feel the stigma of this in such a way that it really forces them to think, am I a criminal? Am I, should I be, you know, should I be involved in drug dealing? Should I be, What you're describing is a social science theory known as labeling theory, and it is proven that people who are given labels by society will act in conformity with those labels after time. And and I I know it because I experienced it from poverty and being a high school dropout, and I I felt Yeah, and you became a successful lawyer co-hosting a podcast. I was lucky (laughs) enough that I was able to pull it together, and I guess I, you know... A lot of my trauma forced me to do what I did. but I mean, and as a white man, you have to be on a podcast. Yeah, pretty much. (laughs) I'm pontificating. (laughs) I'm going to be on another podcast. I'm uh, going to be back on uh, the podcast with uh, Stephen Kersner soon. Just what we need more white men talking on podcasts. Mansplaining, displaining podcast. Yeah, it's not quite the same as, uh, as some of the other ones that you're, I think, trying to refer to here. Yes, I know. I'm just joking. So... Speaking of podcast, why don't we move on to our next uh, our next issue of concern? I don't know that Smithers. it's not a legal topic so much, but well, a weird thing that's happening in Smithers. Four RCMP cruisers, multiple government vehicles, nine vehicles I think in total, and an ambulance lit on set fire. Set on fire in a hotel parking lot. Interesting that they're in a hotel parking lot. <coughs> All those vehicles together um but yes huge arson and it sounds yeah. like each one lit on fire not, yeah gas not, tanks flipped open so intentional yeah and uh, gas spread to all of them and lit yeah. on fire think how much money that is i mean it's huge ambulances uh half a million dollars probably well uh, and there was police also cars are probably in excess of a hundred thousand dollars by the time they're fully equipped there were also markings on one of them for c i r g which is a uh, task force addressing energy industry incidents. So, like, patrols of coastal gas link pipeline camps, which suggests, although nobody can say, suggests that this may have been done by anti-pipeline protesters. And that's possible. Um, you know, usually, I will tell you, it happens actually more often than you would think. Uh, in the course of my career, I know that there's been uh, police cruisers lit on fire in places. When you um, told me that, I honestly thought that it was cops lighting their own vehicles on fire after doing something stupid and trying to destroy the evidence. No, I don't think that's ever the case. Um, ever? I don't <clears throat> think it's been the case, at least that's not that I've heard of. Um, but, uh, usually the police don't go public about it. They usually know who it is. Well, you don't want to encourage Uh, others. They don't know who it is. They want to, well, yeah, it's kind of like talking about suicides. Mm -hmm. Um, you don't want to encourage people to, to, uh, go light uh, police cars on fire. Um, and, uh, I think, you know, more often than not, they know who it is. The, always the issue is whether or not they have the evidence (laughs) to prove it. Can you prove it? Um, the, um, but this was big, right? Uh, it's a lot of vehicles. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, talk and about if you've been to Smithers, Smithers. That, that many fires, everyone in town knew about it within five minutes anyway. Yeah, and somebody must know who it is. Smithers is a great town, by the way. Um, Probably somebody saw somebody do it, but I bet lots of people ain't talking. Uh, it's an unusual 
um, town because it's fairly significant on this highway between uh, Prince Rupert and Prince George, and there's a few lovely, lovely communities there that are really quite idyllic, and Smithers is one of them. I and this don't is know a, that I'd go that far. This is a huge, huge... Well, I mean, it's gorgeous. The, look, I've the mountains only are, been in the, the mountains snow. Are, oh, okay. And it's well, dirty. The, yeah, well, okay. Um, but um, they get a lot of snow. Uh, talk about a huge story. Somebody knows who did it. Uh, mm-hmm. Somebody has... Uh, whoever did it has told somebody, uh, and the police are going to figure it out. Mm-hmm. i got to tell you, it's one thing I try and explain to kids all the time. Um, arson. Even small arsons, any arson is bad. Uh, the, uh, Don't it, do it an is, arson. It, it is. You're going to jail. Once you're once you're caught and convicted, you're going to jail. Arson, uh, right to jail. Yeah, right to jail. <laughs> For any parks and recreation fans out there. Um, yeah, super bad, but interesting. If it is protesters, it's sort of consistent with the escalation indestructive behavior that climate protesters have been exhibiting lately. Well, sure. and uh, They ruined David, a girl with a pearl earring. They ruined a Monet. They sure. ruined that other one. Sure. And David Suzuki the other day gave a, a profanity-laced uh, uh, speech, apparently, um, angry that people aren't angry enough. And um, there's been... Uh, I heard on the radio today about a, a retired professor... Uh, uh, Professor em, uh, Emeritus, who uh, uh, has been arrested and got 14 days in jail, and, and for years he worked on assisting the government in preparing reports or independent environmental reports, and he said it was all bullshit. He said the reports, like every time, they, they would just rubber stamp it in the end, and it was just going through the process, uh, and that it was a complete waste, and there was no bona fides behind it at all. And um, he said, yeah we got to escalate, and I'm retired, and I'm going to do it. Now, I have to tell you, I've thought that I could get arrested myself when I'm retired. I'm going to start protesting any old-growth forest uh, being cut. Okay. Um, and that is one of the things that I've been sort of waiting for my time to do it when I'm no longer uh, um You have a constitutional right to protest, and you can protest now. Just make sure you protest peacefully and you know lawfully. What? You know what? The Law Society would would uh, no be watching carefully anything I did there, waiting. As long as you stand on the side of the road with a sign, you are exercising your constitutional rights. Well, that doesn't... Uh, you don't have a right to freedom of speech when you're a lawyer. You do have freedom of speech. It's limited in the sense that you can't criticize the court or criticize the Law Society much. Um, there are circumstances in which you're allowed to do so. It's a limited freedom of speech, but you still have a freedom of expression when it comes to political issues. The day I'm not a lawyer, and I don't have to worry about that that halter on me, that mm-hmm. that uh, uh, um, electrical collar that they can press the button and cause me pain, then I'm going to be protesting um, the... Uh, uh, the damage to old growth forests. It is absolutely ridiculous in my right. view. But just so you but know. But I will not light I don't, anything on fire. I don't do bail hearings. So if you get arrested, you're going to have to call a different friend. Uh, reality is I will get bail. I don't do bail hearings. I, I'll do my own bail hearing. I'll be my own lawyer. <laughs> God, yeah. Yeah, you're right. I just, uh, I, I don't know. 
I'll go back there. <laughs> okay. Um, now that you're being ridiculous. Your Majesty. Now that you're being ridiculous, I think it's time for... The Ridiculous Driver of the Week. The reviews are in. This book has been a lifesaver. If you haven't bought a copy yet, I can't recommend it enough. Thanks to the pinpoint method, I feel like I now have concrete strategies I can employ for difficult situations. Published by LexisNexis, cross-examination the pinpoint method is an essential addition to your bookshelf. Order now. It's always time for the ridiculous driver of the week, and uh, I'm excited uh, about it every week that it comes, and I don't know if we sorted out to make it just one because there was two that were competing. I don't know. You only texted me one. But I thought we have to go, the Ridiculous Driver of the Week is brought to you by cross-examination, the pinpoint method, which happened to work quite well this week. Yeah, and it's funny. You were in uh, court in Surrey, and somebody came up to you and said, hey, are, are you Kyla Lee? Did you write yeah. that book? He said, did, did you write a book on cross-examination? Yes. And uh, our article... Are you Kyla Lee? Yes. And our article student was on our internal chat uh, when you got your acquittal today. Uh, talking about how uh, how wonderfully it went and it was your cross examination, detailed notes of every word that was said, like your, a good student, and that your cross examination once again was brilliant. And uh, you often uh, have you know question yourself a little bit. You think to yourself every once in a while, I wrote a book, and I do this, and I succeed a lot, and you know, um, was I good enough to write a book? Well, your book is fantastic. It is a great read, and it is a it is a wonderful tool for any lawyer getting prepared to run a trial. I would just like to say that I told the Crown this after court. I what? said, thank you, because he'd made some nice comments in his submissions about my cross-examination. And I said, thank you for your kind words. And he said, what are you talking about? I said, oh, those things that you said to me or said in your submissions about my cross. And he's like, well, I mean, it, it was accurate. I'm not going to not say that it's true. And I said, well, you should know that I'm constantly questioning myself and deeply insecure about my performance and questioning every decision I made. So it's good to hear that I made good decisions. Well, it's funny because you were very confident about your cross-examination skills. You got very good at it. I taught you a little bit, but you took it so much further than anything I ever taught you. And you're just naturally good at it. Uh, but you're able to describe it, and that's the thing that you do in your book. I'm the one who recommended to you to write the book. And you wrote the book, and it's great. And people, you know, they're read the book and say it's great and all these lawyers are saying wow I, if somebody had only explained this to me a long time ago it would have been very useful for me and and i know a few people who read it before each trial and that's a, probably a very good thing but you have developed a little bit of an insecurity as a result of the fact that you wrote the book and now you feel you have to live up to the book yeah it's like i've trial. hyped i've hyped my my reputation up to a level that i can't meet but you can because you keep doing it but don't expect to do it every day. I mean, well, I know I'm not going to win every trial. But you, as the prosecutor pointed out, anything that was there, you got out. And it's very typical, you know, that you're looking at it and you start focusing some, on something that you think is a little bit suspicious. Mm -hmm. And I'm looking at it saying, oh, I don't know, there's some pretty good, you know, explanations for that. And then the trial starts and I'm sitting there, you know, half the time I'm there with, with you watching. It's the students there right now. Um... And I see that you'd get it out. You get that out. Your, your hunch that you had. You start digging, and you get the evidence out. And it's really remarkable. Um, and um, so I commend you for it. 
but you can find the book on uh, LexisNexis. You can Google it. Uh, it's Kyla Lee, The Pinpoint Method Cross-Examination. Let's get to the ridiculous driver of the week. That's why people listen to this point in the podcast. And this one's great. Speaking of drunk driving stops, so Okaloosa County in Florida, they see, uh, they get a complaint that a witness sees this vehicle <laughs> driving all over the road. They think, oh no, this person's impaired. They cut the vehicle off, and who's behind the wheel? Who, <coughs> Paul? A nine-year-old, a nine-year-old boy. A nine-year-old. So the nine-year-old boy is is actually kind of an the innocent person here. He's not the ridiculous driver of the week. No. The ridiculous driver is the person who put him up to driving him. His which parents. Was, well, I think his parents' boyfriend or something. It's, uh, mm. um, it's so... The parent's boyfriend is 22, the kid's 9, so the mother must be older. Um, and so her 22-year-old boyfriend persuades the 9-year-old to drive him home because he's drunk. <laughs> and then, of course, the 9-year-old has to drive himself home after that. Something that so, only an, a, a drunk person would do. A, you know who could drive me home? A 9-year-old. Little Bobby. Bobby, you can he's, drive me home. He's I, tall enough to reach the pedals. In any event, apparently he was like giving instructions to the nine-year-old how to drive on the way home, and and nobody, there was no phone-in complaints about that. Yeah. It was when the nine-year-old had to drive himself back home afterward um, that he didn't have an instructor there with him to tell him. Um, the uh, <coughs> There's a few things that are, are pretty hard for the nine-year-old drivers. <coughs> uh, my dad used to let me drive the station wagon. Uh, on mountain roads when I was small, and braking, boy, braking's hard. And calculate, <laughs> calculate. You know, I mean, it's an automatic thing you do once you're older uh, or once you're experienced. But uh, uh, calculating how the steering wheel is going to react to. So that was the uh, complaints that led to the thought that he was impaired. Yep. So there you go. The nine-year-old is not the ridiculous driver. The guy who's charged is the um, somehow the. The 22-year-old. Reckless endangerment. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's pretty reckless. And that's yeah. pretty endangering. Yeah, and think about a Florida Florida journey. Or Florida journey. A Florida jury. Yeah. Well, he'll be convicted. So there you go. Ridiculous driver of the week is the guy who told the nine-year-old, give yeah. me a ride. And that's our podcast. Thanks, Kyla. You've had a bit of a cough. And I know it's not a COVID cough, but you no. made it through the podcast. It's a so. worn out from talking for two days straight acid reflux cough. Yeah. Well, oh, well. I'm sorry to hear it next week. Hopefully <clears throat> you don't have a cough. And uh, we'll be back with another episode of Driving Law. If you need to reach us, you can find us at 604-685-8889 or the website Vancouver Criminal Law. Kyla is on Twitter at uh, IRP Lawyer. 